Welcome to Create an Impact Talks. The show where we meet people who create an impact for our world. We learn about their initiatives and what drives them. In today's episode, I talk to Lubmila Jordanova, the founder and CEO of Plan A. Climate change is actually a reflection of our society. The only reason why we're where we are is because we have had an extensive disregard for a key element of our ecosystem. Humans are not in charge of the planet. They're not in charge of our natural resources. They're part of them. And until we don't understand this, we're not going to be able to actually address uh, effectively any of these societal issues that we face. I have a very direct way of speaking about the issues and I don't shy away from being really uh, to the point of what actually the challenge ahead of us is. And this hopefully is driving uh, positive change in many people's minds and also is empowering them to think of themselves as actors of change. Yeah, welcome to the show, Luke Miller. I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. Um, we know each other for, for quite some time now and looking forward to do the podcast with you. Thank you so much, Vinny, for the invitation. I'm super happy to be able to uh, share a bit more about me and um, always a pleasure to be chatting to you in general. Yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, your life uh, story is just so exciting. You you yeah, grew up in Bulgaria then. You uh, became an investment banker, but then all of a sudden you switched your life and now you're on a journey, on a mission to do something against uh, CO2 emission. You founded a startup, Plan A. Um, we're going to touch on that, of course. But before that, we want to talk about you. Um, yeah, as I said, you grew up in uh, Bulgaria. Tell, tell us a bit about yourself um, and uh, your, your life journey. Uh, so I was born in Sofia in Bulgaria and I lived there until I was 17. Within these 17 years, I studied in a German high school, uh, lived a happy life, uh, also traveled a lot uh, thanks to my parents, uh, spent a lot of my summers actually in summer camps in uh, uh, different countries. So my languages were at a uh, good level when I was finishing with high school. Um, and Generally, was always interested in uh, wildlife on a personal level, but on the maybe more professional educational side, I was always drawn by uh, literature and maths, like a weird mix of things. Uh, but I guess like a bit more the poetic side plus the quantitative uh, elements. Um, and then anyway, when I was 17, I moved to the UK. Uh, I went to study there my bachelor's uh, where I studied international business in German. Um, stayed in the UK for quite a long time. I was there for 10 years, uh, working and moving to a few different places for living like Germany, Austria, uh, uh, Asia and Bangkok, uh, for a bit. And also, but London was always kind of the base camp. Um, was that for work that did, did you, did you travel around for work or was it during your studies? Yeah, it was for work. So uh, actually during my studies, I had to work somewhere as part of my program because it was a four-year program uh, that encompassed uh, three years of studying and then one year of exchange. And this exchange could have been done in uh, either university or in actually uh, a workplace. So I chose to go to Frankfurt where I worked in Black & Decker <laughs> in the tools company uh, in uh, the marketing department, uh, oddly. And then after that, we're all, it was all about finance. So I uh, moved to um, 
Telecom Austria Group in Vienna, where I worked in the investor relations uh, department and also in the finance team. Um, and that kind of were the two big moments when uh, I really knew that um, I needed to be spending a lot of my time um, in finance. And that led me later on to work in investment banking, in VC, uh, and then in fintech um, later on. Mm -hmm. And um, your upbringing was it? Is, is are your your parents entrepreneurs? How did it, did that shape you? Or is there something in in your roots that uh, that led you to become an entrepreneur? Or uh, what, how would you describe that? I think I have a very lucky setup. First of all, to have parents that are incredibly supportive as uh, people, so they've always given me the chance to be um, exploring and testing things. Um, I've played all sorts of instruments, not with any success, but at least I was given the chance to do that. I've done a lot of different sports, uh, train, dancing, swimming, all these kinds of things. So that was there as a given from them. Uh, and they themselves are actually uh, an interesting mix of experiences. So my dad is an entrepreneur. He has his own company and um It's an incredibly successful one and uh, has been doing this with a lot of strife uh, since literally uh, the moment when um, Bulgaria was actually open for business because obviously there was communism and so on. So shortly after he set up his business and this business is still alive up until today. Um, and then my mom was up until a few years ago on a global level position for a tech company. And that um, kind of exposed me to a lot of uh, kind of tech-driven uh, people, tech-savvy people. Um, I remember when I was a child going to her office, uh, which was conveniently in the same office as Nokia, uh, I would spend uh, hours after school in the Nokia office testing new devices and doing that kind of stuff. I used to be obsessed with buying uh, phone magazines uh, when this thing existed, where literally like they would show the different specification of the phones and then I would be able to sell to my parents' friends the new types of phones and I'd be like, yeah, you need to get this one because you have a better battery lifetime <laughs> and all these kinds of things. So yeah, so yeah, both of them have exposed me to a lot of tech because both of them are connected to this topic and uh, I'm definitely with, uh, in my blood, there's an excitement for technology. Okay, and how does it help you? Like, uh You had a role model with your father being an entrepreneur. Your your mother was also um, yeah successful in in uh, um, in in her in her business or in um, in her her work her work. How how that do you think when you look at yourself today? Are there some behaviors that you that you got from them that you can uh, successfully use today? Or um, yeah, I just think you know when you. I think it's so important the the way how you grew up and the the skill set that you that you get. Um, just to to touch a bit on, bit on that, what, do you think? Yeah, you, you, do you think? You, you, sometimes you think, oh well, fuck, I'm I'm running uh, my my company the same way my my dad has has done in the <laughs> past. Or is that not? It's a it's a valid question because uh, there's definitely a lot of things that I recognize in myself that come from my parents, and um, I sometimes it's actually a bit of a battle because. Uh, My mom is quite of a, a role model to me as a businesswoman uh, and my dad as well with his work. But my mom has definitely spent a lot of time um, 
teaching me the trades of business because I've spent a lot of time in her office as well. <laughs> this is the benefits of having a busy mom. Um, and uh, we sometimes had failed like in our conversations to be able to separate the professional and the, the, the personal, uh, which is something we're learning now as the professional becomes so much more dominant in my own existence. Um, in terms of the way of working, I guess, Something I've noticed, I've picked up from my mom is the way I uh, lead, uh, which is being really straightforward and straight to the point uh, and always finding a sense of humor in any opportunity in any situation, yet being quite strict. Uh, and that's something I've learned from her, definitely, because this is how I've been brought up. <laughs> uh, so I guess it's, you know, it comes, uh, it comes in different shapes and forms, but it's still the same dough, as we say. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So then, as you said, you you've studied, and then uh, you you had uh, some some corporate jobs, but then at some point you you moved uh, to to London again, and you became an investment banker. and And you told me before that that uh, shaped um, the way you think, and you also met some some of your mentors in a way. Um, take us a big bit into that time and into that period of your life. London was an interesting place because um, you kind of have to live with the speed and the mindset of the city, otherwise you're going to fail. Uh, and it's not even about professional failure, it's also about the personal one because just the city lives with a totally different speed and mentality. It's not like Berlin where you can pick and choose what's your uh, way of being and you can even adapt it uh, this month, I feel like that, and the next month I feel like something else. Um, especially for people that are in the business environment. And when it comes to my personal experience with London, um, it was quite of a challenging but interesting environment. So um, when I moved to the UK, I first did my bachelor's. That was in um, international business in German. Um, and after that, I basically uh, went to uh, do my master's in London School of Economics and. Um, for the first year of the two-year masters, I was actually um, quite sad. And that's something that I haven't told many people because it's um, always felt like my pride should not allow me to do that. But uh, for the first year, I was really struggling because I was seeing all these friends of mine because I really quickly built a really strong group of friends that are up until today, um, some of the closest people that I have. Uh, and they knew since day one that they needed to go in investment banking. They wanted to go in management consulting, they wanted to do something specific in the private equity sphere or hedge funds and so on. And I wasn't that sure for myself. I uh, ended up going in investment banking between the two years. Uh, that's something that uh, happened, I guess, under some peer pressure <laughs> that I was seeing from the outside. But what I was always doing was actually being um, quite interested in technology. I have been since I was a child. So I wanted to work in companies like Google, Amazon. And at that point, that was the what tech was defined by. And not that I'm that old, but that was, there was still a, a not so well-developed entrepreneurial scene, even in London. Uh, and fintech were just starting. Um, so that really was a struggle for me because for a whole year, I was like having this identity crisis and... Um, And then I would be kind of obviously finding a way to fit myself into the uh, setup and to the expectations of society and this particular uh, kind of course that I had chosen. 
Um, but it was really difficult. And then uh, in the second year, I kind of found myself and I decided, okay, I'm going to do me. And uh, I went into technology. I went to work in a fund in uh, Bangkok, uh, in a venture capital fund in Bangkok. Worked there for nine months and then moved to London back uh, to work in a fintech company where I met my mentors, Chris and James, who uh, they probably knew, but they didn't know that they were so uh, influential and so uh, defining for my career today. Uh, but literally, like, all the stuff that I know about startups, I know from Chris, uh, who was for many years before starting Guy Walker, an investment banker, um, and was someone that had a very clear idea of how he wanted to build the business. He had found a partner that is like super smart, James and them together. They were just like this duo, uh, getting stuff done from the business and the tech perspective. And they managed to make the company a huge success. Um, I was there employee 15, um, left when it was close to 200 people in the company within just two, um, within just two and a half years time, uh, which was pretty phenomenal journey for them. Uh, and it's by me working directly with Chris and James as their kind of support analyst, uh, I learned heaps just being able to be exposed to their uh, genius and their understanding of how business is done. Mm. What was this scene like? I mean, there's always this picture of investment banker, super hierarchy, super driven, uh, yeah, parties, cocaine, whatever, like <laughs> working, you know, like. Is there is that what you've experienced uh, at the time, or is it is it completely different? Or just to give give people a clearer picture of what your life and what the scenery in London and uh, in, in finance uh, looked like at the time? Um, finance then versus finance now is quite of a different animal because uh, at the moment you have a new type of talent that is really demanding uh, a bit of a more. Um, equal approach uh, and that's something that it was then not necessarily uh, the case there was a lot of uh, karaoke there was a lot of uh, backstabbing examples you could give I haven't personally experienced it because I always had aimed to kind of be in good relationship with everyone not necessarily uh, making sure that I understand where people come from and kind of this allows you to maybe be a bit more flexible, especially in the beginning of your career, not to bend yourself uh, backwards and uh, be disrespectful to your own values, but be a bit more agile so that you understand first the environment before you start jumping in with suggestions on how it could be improved. Um, in fintech, it was a bit different. Fintech was then kicking off in London and um, Chris and Jace were investment bankers that were hugely successful before they started the company, which allowed them to quite quickly raise some money. Um, but they knew they were business people. They knew how to build a business. They were not like, uh, you know, many of uh, us these days that have had like five jobs and then, then go into uh, doing their own company. Some entrepreneurs now, they just jump straight out of university into doing a job. Um, they had been professionals for 20 years and that allowed them to be really clear with how to build a company, how to set up processes. Uh, it was amazing to watch the space because honestly, like I, I, I feel like what I'm experiencing now with sustainability, I've experienced with FinTech already in London because it had just been one year or two years after, like since a few key investments had happened in London in the FinTech scene. Um, 
which literally like kicked off a whole evolution and a whole different perception of how banking is happening. Um, and the people that used to be there in the beginning now are super successful. And uh, I, I've seen and I keep track of all of them because we're connected uh, in many ways. And uh, yeah, it's super interesting, but it was a bit of an improved version of investment banking, I would say, because even though there was like ex-investment bankers doing it, uh, there was definitely a lot more of an understanding that the talent that goes into a startup is not the talent that goes into Goldman Sachs um, or another or a private equity because um, people wanted to finish work at a certain hour. People wanted to have beers after work together. Uh, people wanted to go on trips together. Uh, there was this like constant need for team engagement, uh, which is kind of an element of startups. Mm. We uh, we talked about your parents being also kind of mentors for you. Then then you met your your next mentors um, during your time in, in London. How important uh, are mentors from, from your perspective? Mentors are, in my opinion, probably fifty percent of the success of anyone, and that's something that many entrepreneurs learn quite late because they're busy building their own company and probably busy figuring out how to solve problems. But if you have mentors, you get a peace of mind a lot earlier that, first of all, this is a problem other people have seen and they can solve. And the second is about just building this confidence with your own self that you're capable of doing these things, that you are um, able to push through this challenge. Uh, so incredibly important and honestly if it was not for my mom my dad in the uh, kind of early stages of uh, plan a and then later on uh, or before that actually chris and then um, other people that now i have in my life um i definitely wouldn't have gotten that far and wouldn't have been so reduced i would say with such reduced stress along the way because uh, someone actually made my life easier by uh, just giving me a confidence that this is something that has happened before to someone else. And um, you just need to be, believe in yourself and also ask for advice, which is something that I personally have learned the hard way I need to do. Because uh, I always was like, no, it's not, I don't want to bother these people and so on. Um, yeah, so definitely hugely important. <laughs> Okay, and then um, let's let's get back to uh, to to London. You you were there. You were basically yeah, on on your path to becoming yeah uh, uh, building your career in uh, in the finance sector. But then at some point something changed, and now you at, at some point decided to become an entrepreneur, uh, building Plan A. How that how did all of that happen then? It was a serendipitous moment and I'm incredibly grateful for it to have happened. Um, I had an interesting period in my life at uh, uh, Iwoka and just on a personal level where a lot of things were moving at the same time and I wasn't quite clear why this was happening. So on a personal level, I was with a partner that I wasn't particularly happy with. Uh, um, Then uh, also I was having quite a lot of uh, doubts if I should stay with Iwoka because Iwoka was going through Series B, a lot of things changed and um, a lot also of the people that were uh, in the early days in the company were starting to consider to leave. It was just like one of those phases of a company. Um, and 
in London, Brexit had just happened uh, and a lot of my friends decided to leave as well, which was obviously quite disappointing because the city is mainly the people um, and the experiences you have with them there. So all these things put together uh, were actually amplified at a trip that I went in Morocco where I was supposedly surfing, ended up cleaning beaches instead. Um, and that trip was, uh, I guess, an opportunity for me to see an escape out of all these uh, topics into something that was unfamiliar to me and made me engaged. And that was climate change because I saw the disregard that people had for nature. That was essentially what was giving them money because they were living off um, the natural resources that uh, these beaches, this like space, this geography had. Yet they were incredibly careless, uh, essentially putting no effort into preserving them. Uh, so these beaches covered in plastic, I think we have a bit of a passion for that both, uh, led me to go back to London and I literally a few months later quit my job, decided to spend a whole year educating myself about climate change and, um, spent quite some time, uh, learning, uh, about what is the human impact on the planet, uh, why, how is pollution related to climate change? Um, and that gave me a bit of a concept, uh, which then was further developed by an, in, uh, like a set of interviews that I did. I interviewed more than, uh, uh, 300 people. And then also I developed this comparative data model, which was looking into where were the worst hit environmental, uh, by environmental issues, uh, geographies, and then what was the funding that was going into that. And all of these experiments and all of this knowledge gathering was just devastating because there was clearly no action. There was a lot of knowledge out there that there's a problem, um, yet no money was flowing into the issue. And um, that's how Plan A started. <laughs> yeah, that sounds super interesting. And I, I have the feeling so that you had like a, a period or almost a year where you pushed the kind of the, the stop button in a way. So you you left your job. Um, you. You, yeah, you, you took that year for yourself in, in a way and you, you took that year to, as you said, educate yourself. How, how did that year look like for you? How did you change your behaviors, your routines or how, how, <laughs> how is it even possible, you know, because you, you were working constantly and I think it's actually not that easy to do it and to, to take that step and to, to really just, yeah, just without knowing where it will, will take you, uh, um, uh, yeah, just to, um, to have to sabbatical in a way. Yeah, it was not really a sabbatical because if you, uh, for those of the people that don't know me listening, it's, uh, uh, I can confirm that uh, if I don't have anything to do, I'll find 20 things to do. <laughs> like I'm someone that doesn't uh, find quite uh, easily, like I can't just sit on a couch and not do anything for a few days even. Um, so what I ended up doing was I created basically a Uh, a busy schedule for myself by interviewing a lot of people, doing a lot of research. I started doing UX courses. Uh, I was working endlessly. Honestly, these were probably longer hours than when I was in investment banking because I was just so excited. And I was like, okay, so there's like, there's a problem here. Like we need to solve it. Uh, I also then uh, separated with uh, this guy that I was with and uh, essentially ended up uh, kind of, you know, There was a few things that happened at the same time. And I was like, okay, now I need to move out of London because um, all my friends are leaving as well. And um, 
the time when I was still in London, but had like, uh, I started making quite a lot of decisions. One was about Berlin. I decided to move to Berlin from London. Second one was about uh, the, the saying no to this relationship. Uh, did you did you move to Berlin right after you said, okay, I'm going to finish the job or was it a little bit later? You, you... One year I was by myself in London and it was really lonely, actually. Not out of, uh, because people started isolating me, but it was more that I decided to isolate myself. I was barely going out because I was like, okay, now I don't have much money to spend out. So I need to be like spending some time, um, you know, if I've de dedicated myself to this cause, like I'm not going to do it half-heartedly, like, having beer and uh, wine in fancy restaurants <laughs> while also uh, considering how to address climate change. Um, so I spent close to a year by myself doing a lot of yoga, uh, doing a lot of research, doing all these interviews, uh, living with my fantastic flatmate, uh, Franchi, uh, an Italian girl, and uh, basically uh, a lot of learning happened during this time. A lot of big decisions were made and probably halfway through the process, I decided that I'm going to move. Um, and in Berlin and I kicked off a process of setting up a game BH. Uh, but that was essentially like, um, you know, it was the formalities to get me where I wanted to. What mattered a lot more was that I was going through this very studious approach of tackling the issue, educating myself and making sure that I understand what problem I'm solving. I think it's a good uh, good point now to talk a bit about uh, what is Plan A actually doing and what what is your company offering. Um, and then um, the the follow up question I would have after that is how uh, because now from the time that we were just talking about that you had this this time and where you were just becoming more aware about uh, the issue and stuff like that. But then how did you convert it into a business uh, model? That would would be the question after. But but maybe uh, because people don't know what is Plan A actually doing. Uh, what is your company um, offering? What what kind of service? Of course, yeah. Um, Plan A has been quite a lot of different things throughout the years. Uh, today, Plan A is a software as a service company that enables businesses uh, predominantly on the larger side to calculate, monitor, reduce and report on their emissions while improving their ESG performance. This is a model that we have now that has evolved over the last five years into uh, one that is solely focused on uh, B2B, but it actually kicked off as a B2C business. Uh, we first started with a donation platform uh, that was aimed at educating people about climate change to influence their decision on where they should put money. The logic there was that throughout all my learning for this whole year that I was by myself, I noticed that Science was barely used in any of the argumentation when you would look at donation platforms. And when I noticed that there was also a financial problem with the whole industry, then it was a bit more clear that financial resources are clearly not connected to any scientifically proven facts, or at least not to the larger extent. And with this model, we kicked off in 2017 with a campaign that was aimed at 400,000 trees on four continents uh, in, uh, planted basically and funded in, uh, in a month. And that was a model which was one month, one course, uh, one campaign. And uh, that was really exciting because we had such a drive and a lot of, I guess, naive approach to actually how complex it is to build a crowdfunding platform, a donation platform. Um, And we ended up essentially uh, raising quite a lot of money. 
Um, we raised the money for more than half of the trees, which was pretty good. Uh, but it took a lot of effort and like a lot of door, like, you know, door to door sales. Um, and one thing that happened really interestingly when we were in this model that kind of got us going for the one that we have now was that a lot of businesses contacted us when we were doing this campaign and they said, Hey, can we chip in? Can our company be the sponsor of this campaign? Uh, you know, can we actually take over like 25% and so on? And, um, this was the moment when we started chatting to a lot of businesses and learned that they needed and they had a lot more of a diverse set of interests in sustainability that go beyond simply donations and good causes, which is where essentially we kicked off, um, we kicked off Plan A, uh, as a more B2B business. We developed, uh, as a second model, an algorithm that predicts when and how climate change will hit the hardest. Um, and then this model from climate risk assessment moved to carbon accounting assessment. Uh, and essentially what we're doing now is we're slowly kind of putting together all these pieces into one where the donations are actually embedded into the way you can compensate your projects. The climate risk is being added on the platform itself. Uh, but we kind of did it backwards. So we built the building blocks and now we're putting them together uh, by kicking off with first what has been requested the most by our clients, which is carbon accounting and carbon reduction. Um, where is Plan A um, currently at? What, what is the team size? Uh, what, is, what is currently going on um, in the company? Just to give a bit reference of, of what's happening to the, to the listeners. Plan A is now close to 40 people. We're based in uh, Germany and in France. Uh, and we are essentially a team of a lot of scientists, uh, a lot of data engineers, as well as uh, business people like me who are focusing on um, making sure that this knowledge that we have is uh, transformed also into uh, useful KPIs for businesses. Um, we have... Uh, um, plans and uh, focusing at the moment on close to doubling the team before the end of the year, uh, which is quite exciting. And um, we're planning on, uh, we're already operating across Europe and uh, the US and a bit in Asia. Mm -hmm. um, how will, uh, will the, the setup and um, what, what you're offering, how will it uh, help with the issue of, of climate uh, change? We've always focused on using this fundamental understanding of the problem that we're solving into the way we've translated it into a product, which means that any kind of knowledge that we have has been considered from the perspective of, but how does the existing ecosystem and stakeholder engagement work? And how are these different stakeholders actually today understanding the topic of sustainability? Combining these two sets of understanding, we have developed a software that embeds itself into the existing systems, ERP systems, accounting systems, and so on of the companies that we work with. And it gives them an additional layer to their KPIs, to their decision making, which is related to their environmental footprint. And for some companies, this might seem a bit outlandish or like, why would this even matter? Uh, the truth is, is that at the moment, there is a lot of new regulations that are requesting a lot more transparency on this. But there's also a lot of data that proves that you as a company might be losing money if you don't consider this today. A few examples of how you could be losing money is that if you invest in the wrong physical assets and they're later on influenced by climate change, 
you would have to pay out of your capex essentially the compensation for the uh, reconstruction or whatever it is. And that's why, for example, physical risk is a huge issue in the banking sector because there's all these big buildings around the world that has been financed and leased and uh, done through mortgages, uh, but they are actually at stake because of flooding, because of all these like natural disasters that are increasing in speed and frequency thanks to climate change. Another example is actually customers. And I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, for all the listeners that know, of course, Godback, you're a fantastic example of, uh, you know, and your success and what people prefer these days. People want with their purchase to actually engage with a cause. Um, and that is because today they can find an incredibly good quality bag like yours versus another one that just doesn't have this positive connotation because they're going to pick yours rather than... And this example is valid in so many different industries. It's not only in fashion, but it's also in uh, food. It's also in the way you pick your uh, travel options and so on. And then the final element is uh, related to um, is related to uh, kind of the um, the investment side, or maybe like this this financial element, because um, this physical risk that I was speaking about is actually one out of three hundred that are out there for banks and for different financial institutions. So nowadays, you're considered as not prepared for the future if you don't have an agenda on this. So. This is what Plan A does today, um, and this is where, I guess, the model shaped uh, itself and how it exists within um, uh, the existing ecosystem that we have of businesses and structures. Yeah, Lou, you are, uh, you are an entrepreneur now, um, and um, when you're looking back at the last years, um, what, what has changed in, in your life? What is, uh, yeah, when you, design, uh, you, you describe yourself as an entrepreneur now, um, Yeah, you have you have a different role, um, and how does your your role in the company also have changed uh, in the last uh, or since since you since you started the company, and and how has has your life changed uh, since since then at the same time? One of the principles by which I live is agility and flexibility, which means that I have to be adapting myself to the way the company and the situation evolves. Plan A has uh, been called in the beginning baby Plan A, and then now it feels more like there's a teenager that is being brought up. And um, my role in this whole kind of setup is, uh, first of all, to build the strongest and most dedicated team, which I can proudly say I feel confident uh, we have done together with, uh, together with my co-founder and also with uh, everyone else that has been involved in the hiring process of people. Um, I feel that in the beginning, I was definitely more dedicated to, uh, figuring things out, just like putting together the pieces of understanding. Okay. So what, what does need to be done? Figuring out where do we get money to be able to continue and so on. And, um, that moved now into a more, uh, representative role, uh, to some extent where I am someone that speaks on behalf of the company at events, uh, at any uh, public opportunity. Um, I'm the one that motivates the team. Uh, I spent a lot of time speaking individually to the team members just to understand what is their concern today? How are they feeling like their growth is uh, going? Are they feeling like they're given enough opportunity to be doing uh, what they feel and what they're passionate about? And 
a third element that is kind of always going to be there. And um, I now just, there's a slight difference that there's so many smart people in the company, um, uh, in, even in quantity, not only quality. Quality has always been there. Um, that allows me to not do this by myself, but it's also defining the strategy for the next stage. We have quite a busy and, uh, I would say, packed agenda for the coming months. Uh, we just raised funding and also um, expanding quite a lot uh, across different geographies, which means that we need to be quite uh, clear on anticipating what happens after the next step even. Um, and that is a big chunk of my job where I always try to think of how we put these pieces together, who we should be chatting to, who can be a partner for this and so on. This is, I think, yeah, you, you also have never done this process and I'm kind of in the middle of the, the same situation with a rapidly growing team and I know that you need to, yeah, you have to change and you have to learn so much. So what are your biggest learnings um, in, the, in the last maybe couple of months? There's been a lot that has been learned through COVID and that is uh, not to tell the same story that probably many people are telling themselves uh, that, you know, our world has been shaken and so on. We all have felt that. What I've learned is actually um, that the work that we're doing is finally not only in my own garden and it's not anymore this exotic and quite, uh, you know, strange topic that you need to cover, but you don't know why. And that gives me a lot of hope because I feel like that is going to allow us to work with a lot more freedom and a lot more understanding of different stakeholders because now they're finally voicing their concerns about the problem that is ahead of them. Um, Yesterday I had a very interesting conversation with a friend of mine who works in politics and she literally said, you have no idea what's coming up next. And of course, she's not uh, allowed to go into details and so on, but it's kind of, you know, if this is someone that works in the German government that can tell you that, uh, then you know that you're on the right track of addressing a big issue. Uh, sometimes on the journey, it felt really lonely. In 2016 in Berlin, honestly, like the 17, uh, we were speaking about a topic that was just gathering, uh, you know, a lot of people working in NGOs at that uh, time in the topic, a lot of people that were activists. Uh, but I have been frowned upon from business people at that point. And um, also we were barely able to get any funding because investors were not even looking into the topic. Um, so that's something that I've learned and it gives me a lot of hope that, uh, we're all starting to align around a really important, um, uh, topic. Yeah. I want to get back to you, uh, to you as a, as a, as a leader and, uh, and, uh, as a person, um, you, yeah, had some really great successful years behind yourself. You've been nominated as a 30 under 30 by, by Forbes. You just recently uh, became a, a LinkedIn um, honorary uh, spokesperson on the platform, um, stuff, stuff like that. And I have the feeling that, um, yeah, you really become uh, like a, yeah, a spokesperson also for uh, climate change in, in some, some sense, which is absolutely great and fantastic. I congratulate you on that. What is your personal vision for, for yourself? Do you have something like that? And, and um, like this, uh, everything that, that, has been has been happening to you in, in the last week. Do you, do you find yourself just after you started your new mission in a way that it just yeah 
keeps keeps coming at you that you're just in some state of flow and or are you really uh, yeah also trying to build your personal brand actively or how did it all come came together since day one of planning i have promised myself that i'm gonna be uh really kind of dedicated and strongly focused on what i'm here to do i I don't have ego. I'm not driven by, uh, you know, all this validation that has happened. I'm really appreciative of it because it gives me, again, confidence that our topic is now becoming important. But I'm really humbled by the attention uh, and I'm honored to be asked of my opinion about what is ahead. And every single job that I've been given, every single moment that I've had uh where people would recognize uh, the work of Plan A and my personal work uh, is just another step towards actually climate change uh, being more of a topic and being addressed more prominently. Um, I have a very direct way of speaking about the issues and I don't shy away from being really, uh, I wouldn't say controversial, but uh, I would say uh, to the point of what actually the challenge ahead of us is. And um This hopefully is driving a positive change in many people's minds and also is empowering them to think of themselves as actors of change. Um, I'm, you know, like, I'll give you an example from today. And that's something that really, like, I, I was into tears because it's something that I would have never expected. I've been invited uh, to host a fireside chat with Jane Goodall, uh, which is quite mind-blowing. Uh, this is one of the biggest environmentalists on this planet, and she is, alongside with David Attenborough, uh, the defining figure uh, that has explained to us why we need to care about nature and why we need to have a more respectful relationship with nature. And um, this example shows you that, uh, you know, uh, if, if I get to my head about these things, like uh, there's always going to be uh, a loss opportunity for me to actually fulfill my mission because there's always people that have done a lot more and I can only look up to them to think of how I can further improve my impact. Uh, so I think I'm more humbled than anything else about everything that has happened to me and I am driven by the no ego mantra um, because this is an opportunity of a lifetime for me to be able to speak about my passion and actually have this as a job. Let's look a bit into the the future. What what does the future looks like for for you and for for Plan A? Plan A is establishing itself as the mediator between the different stakeholders, which means that we basically want to be the connecting point between businesses, between um, individuals that work within these businesses, also NGOs, governments, and have the chance to give uh, people a clear picture of what is the action ahead of us in terms of reducing our carbon emissions um, on a company, on a governmental level, um, and engage in a positive uh, kind of set of activities that can support our society to move to a more equitable model. Um, climate change is actually a reflection of our society. The only reason why we're where we are is because we have had an extensive disregard for a key element of our ecosystem. Humans are not in charge of the planet. They're not in charge of our natural resources. They're part of them. And until we don't understand this, we're not going to be able to actually address uh, effectively any of these societal issues that we face. 
So our job as Plan A is to empower businesses to be at the forefront of this while engaging them with other stakeholders in a very efficient um, and also business-minded manner. Lou, thank you so much um, already for this conversation. At the end of uh, every podcast, um, I do have three questions with, uh, which are always the same for every guest. Um, the first question uh, would be, if you met, meet an, uh, an aspiring entrepreneur, what, what, what would be your number one advice you would give this person? I would say be good. One of the things that I have learned uh, along my journey is that kindness is uh, one of the key reasons why people open their doors. If you're kind to people and you ask them for advice, they're going to find time to speak to you. If you're kind to people uh, when they work with you, they're going to be giving twice as much of their time or of their mind. Um, and uh, if you actually keep this along the way while you're having challenges but also successes, you're going to be able to get a lot further uh, because this is going to keep you humble. Uh, this is going to keep you also uh, friendly and um, someone that people would like to spend time with. Okay. Next question. The three big, uh, three uh, best, best books that you uh, read. How bad are bananas? This one is really uh, amazing. It basically explains uh, the CO2 emissions behind uh, every single thing that we do in our lives. So like a Google search uh, versus eating an orange versus eating a banana versus having a swimming pool even. And it's pretty easily written. So I think it's quite of an interesting uh, read for anyone that could, I guess, be um, interested even into getting into the topic of sustainability. Another one is um, The Disciplined Entrepreneur or Disciplined Entrepreneurship. Um, and this is actually a book that was super helpful for me in the beginning of Plan A. It essentially gave me um, the chance to see in a very structured manner what kind of steps I needed to take in order to uh, be addressing uh, all the challenges that you face when you're building a company. How do you size the market? How do you find your geography? How do you find your niche? What is your persona? But it's written in a, it's an MIT course that turned into a book because it was so popular. Um, and that's something that definitely, uh, definitely helped me a lot. And then because at the end of the day, we're speaking about uh, a business journey, I would uh, mention um, The Mom's Test. Uh, and this is a book that is essentially teaching people on how they can validate their idea to make it an actual business rather than something that quite often happens when you're building a company is that you're so attached to your idea that you really don't challenge it against, um, you know, how people perceive it through the lens of their own perspective of action so how do they live their lives and where would this new app or new tool or new product would fit in their life so this is a book that was super useful again for me for validating all these different models that we've had with planning okay and the final question i have for you today is what is your hopes and wishes for for um the future of our planet I hope that humans survive. <laughs> uh, that's something that I hope. And if it actually happens, that means that we would have done a good job of aligning ourselves to one another um, as businesses, as individuals and uh, governments, and uh, also would have listened to what the scientists have been telling us. Uh, I believe that this is possible because on a daily basis, I meet people like you, Benny, like all the Green Tech Alliance members. And, um, 
all the other uh, people dedicated to sustainability or engage with the topic of sustainability. And I know that there's many of us, many more than there were four years ago. So I'm hopeful, uh, but still some work to be done. Lou, thank you so much for our conversation, for the podcast. Um, I wish you all of the best uh, for, your, for you, for, your, for you personally and uh, for the company. And let's talk soon. All the best. Thank you, Vinny.